Hi, everyone. Let's start with the good news. You are now more than 100 followers across Spotify and Apple Podcasts to follow this, uh, this show. And this means a lot to me. It means a lot to the founders who come and share their story on the show. And I'm excited to see this community growing. Today, we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is the combination between AI and climate tech. We talked to Carbon Re, a startup that recently got 4.2 million pounds in seed funding. They focus on the cement industry and making the cement production process more efficient uh, by applying AI technology to uh, inform what are the best possible conditions across the cement production process to reduce the use for the very CO2 intensive resources that go into cement production in the first place. We're going to talk to Sheriff, who is the founder and CEO of the company, one of the co-founders of the company, and go deep into this very important topic when you consider the fact that cement as an industry is probably the the industry that contributes the most to CO2 uh, emissions. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please spread the word, um, talk about this show to your colleagues and friends, leave us a good review. It would mean a lot to us and to the founders who come on the show. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with Sheriff from Carbon Re. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Nathan Pomart and this is Loose, the Climate Tech Podcast. Every week we interview a founder and explore the stories, ideas, innovations and businesses behind some of the most inspiring climate tech companies that have a tangible positive impact on our planet. This show is designed to help you learn, instigate optimism and inspire further action towards addressing the climate change challenge that we face as a global community. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or investor interested in learning more about the climate tech space and how you can play a part in it, this show is for you. So, Sheriff, welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the industries that is the at, at, a, at an industry level the biggest contributor to CO2 emissions worldwide. That is uh, cement and uh, adjacently steel which you are aiming to make a lot more efficient and a lot less CO2 intensive using software and artificial intelligence. So I'm excited to dive into it. Welcome. Glad to have you on. Thanks a lot, Nathan. Uh, really good to be here. As a way to get us started, would be great to have you tell us the story of when and why you got excited with this opportunity that you are pursuing at Carbon Re. Thanks a lot, Nathan, and uh, really good to be uh, to be on the show. And uh, so, yeah, so I, uh, you know, it was, I think, uh, so I've always had an interest in the environment and uh, on the climate change aspect of it. Uh, but really, it was only in the 2018-19, uh, I was working on the application of AI for climate, but more on monitoring climate signals uh, using satellite data and AI uh, from space. And um, and that's, and that's obviously important. We need to understand what's happening in our climate. We need to understand where emissions are coming from to be able to tackle them. But really, at the end of the day, you know, it's sort of my frustration grew from the fact that we do we know where the problems are. Like, we know where the big things that need to be tackled are. They're not secrets. We know exactly where the big emissions are coming from. 
And, you know, I, I used to be like a long time ago, I was civil engineer. So I, I sort of have this general, you know, level of kind of awareness of the built environment and I'm very interested in cities and I kind of understand a bit, you know, how buildings are made and what, what things like cement, steel, concrete and their relationship to, uh, to climate change. And my biggest frustration was that, you know, in the tech world, there was so much skill and talent going on. What really are trivial problems, right? In terms of uh, where the social challenges that we're facing, uh, and they were not being applied to the things that that are really problematic from a social, from an economic point of view. And I was seeing that, you know, there was a lot of talk around climate change around, you know, early 2020 before the pandemic and so on. But it was all around the, the slightly lower hanging fruits, the, the things you know we can start solving today, and things like the more hard to abate sectors like cement and steel were just really being, to, to a great extent but not being talked about enough. And uh, that was kind of the impetus for starting Carbonary. Did you also approach it from a, from a business standpoint, basically, you know, sizing the, the opportunity for building a, a big business in that, in that space? And if you thought about it, w what was your thought process there? Uh, no, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, a business makes sense when it solves a real problem. And that's, that always has to be the starting point. Uh, there are things that come and go in terms of, you know, things we think, okay, there's a, maybe there is a problem that someone has here or there, but we know for certain that the, the climate challenge is a huge problem, decarbonization, that the transformation of every single industry that's going to go through is a huge problem and a huge opportunity because that transformation will mean that there are huge economic opportunities coming from that. And you look at uh, things like, uh, you look at industries like cement and steel, these are hundreds of billions of dollars annually, you know, we're talking about potentially trillions in terms of uh, investment that's going to be needed in the, over the coming decades. Uh, they are absolutely fundamental industries, so they're not going anywhere. You know, there are things that come and go. Uh, cement and steel are not going anywhere. They're going to be with us uh, for a very, very long time. And these are, and, and that transition and the, the, the sort of the, the inevitability of the transition because of the pressure on the climate side uh, means that all of these transformation is going to open up a huge range of economic opportunities. So it's almost, uh, I mean, you know, the, the question is why did, uh, you know, coming from a technology perspective, uh, people not think about them earlier. Uh, and I think partly it's uh, their more traditional kind of older industries and as fundamental as, uh, as they are, the tech world has been often, I think, uh, perhaps too focused on the newer and shinier things which are great, but uh, at the end of the day, all these industries need to transform and technology is, is a big part of that. And, uh, and I think the, the, there was a huge, big missing gap when we started. Now things are changing and uh, there's a lot more attention to them, but uh, it was a very, very obvious uh, opportunity. So let's get into the, the details a bit. Tell us about Carbon Re and, and your main product, uh, Delta Zero. What exactly do you offer to cement manufacturers? I guess those are your your primary target customers, what, what do you offer to them and what do you help them do? We are not just a this company at, at core, uh, and we're very much a, a, uh, an AI first company. So, uh, everything we do comes from, uh, internal R and D that we do, then we turn into, into products that, that provide the value for our customers. And, and it's a, it's a difficult line to, you know, it's not a very easy line to walk across because we, we are trying to address issues with artificial intelligence that have never been addressed before in that way and at the same time providing that that valuable products uh, in a very short time frame now what we do is we help cement producers today with our first product that is your cement to do two things at the same time 
is to reduce costs and reduce emissions, which is, you know, a, a very good value proposition for, from any perspective. I would say the way we're doing that is, is the question and why hasn't it been done before and why, why no one has thought about it before. And essentially, um, the key thing is to, to understand is that uh, cement production is an extremely complex uh, manufacturing process. We're talking about, uh, on average, thousands of tons being uh, produced every day in a typical uh, plant. Uh, these are uh, under very, very high uh, temperature conditions, 1450 degrees Celsius that need to be reached. There's loads of things going on at the, on the chemistry level, on the, uh, the physics of the, the materials moving within the, the process. There's a lot of variation in the process and in terms of the energy efficiency that happens because of the complexity and because of the differences in inputs. And being able to control that variation has been almost impossible to do today and up to now at a, at a good, uh, in, in, a, in a good and efficient way because you cannot really model these processes with uh, normal computation methods in on a wide basis. Uh, but where AI comes in is that it allows us to abstract things to, 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 to in a way that you can do that on a live basis, on a dynamic and continuous basis, and be able to respond in real time, and then being able to achieve these efficiencies. So with these efficiencies, essentially what you do is that you can produce the same ton of cement to the same quality, but by re using the least amount of fuel possible. And so then you get a, you're able to achieve up to 8 to 10% uh, fuel productions. And given that this is 40% of the CO2 uh, emissions in a ton of cement and somewhere between 30 and 40% of the cost of a ton of cement, you can see where that becomes a very uh, significant uh, value proposition. So is it fair to say that your your solution, you you currently the approach you take is we're not going to change what goes what the primary inputs to making cement, but we're going to try to make sure we use those much more efficiently. And and by doing that, we're saying we can achieve, you know, 10% saving on what contributes to 40% of the cost, 40% of the emissions. So we can make cement globally effectively 4% uh, more, more efficient from a cost and CO2 emissions standpoint. Which is you know, which is huge, right? It's a massive contribution for for one single industry. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the you know the big question is okay, but uh, how do we get to that? You know, obviously that's with cement or steel, all these things you need to get to net zero, and there is you know uh, obviously a lot of uh, kind of new ideas and solutions and different potentially cementitious materials uh, being trialed. Now the we kind of look at this from both a very pragmatic and a very both from a climate and a market point of view. One is that, you know, so from the climate point of view, the, you know, getting to 20, net zero by 2050 is meaningless unless we start really reducing emissions significantly now, just in terms of global heating, right? So the earlier emissions are cut, the better in terms of the uh, overall heating and damage that, that they create. So starting today is really important. From a, the, the economics and the market point of view, now the, the reality is you take cement that is there are 4 billion tons, that's 4 trillion kilograms of the stuff being produced every year, right? I mean, th these are like incredibly unimaginable quantities and they're made across the world. And why is that possible? It's because cement's uh, main uh, component is limestone, which is the most abundant sedimentary rock on the planet. Basically, the stuff is everywhere. So we can produce in these massive quantities. Now, if yeah. we talk, when you talk about all the alternatives, yes, these will make a, have an impact over time, but there is no scenario in which cement will not continue to be produced in the billions of tons every year for the next 20, 30 years, because there is nothing that can replace uh, the scale. 
And we often forget about the scale. So if you, if you have something where you can produce, for example, 20 tons a day today, even if you scale that 1,000 times, that's 20 million, 20,000 tons a day. That is uh, somewhere like uh, 600,000 tons uh, a year. That's not, that's, that's only a small percentage of the actual amount of cement that's done today. So, so that, that change is not really going to happen to replace the cement that we have today. And we're going to have to find solutions, both in terms of new materials, but also in terms of making the ones we, we have today much, much lower carbon intensive. Let's nerd out about your, your solution for, for a little bit. At the, um, what can you tell us about the nature of the data inputs that you take in order for your AI to, to be able to, to make recommendations that lead to more efficiency? Do you have sensors that you need to have across the production line in order to, to capture you know, new, new data that then enables you to, to, to provide intelligent recommendations? How does that work? Really good question because obviously data is key to any any AI solution. We so so the nice thing is that industry uh, has invested uh, quite a bit in like you know sort of all the industry 4.0 IoT developments of the last uh, past few years, and uh, there is actually quite a bit of data. But often, as we find across many 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 other sectors, that there is a lot of data, but it's not utilized well uh, because one that doesn't necessarily translate to the other, right? And uh, so the, the key is like, how do you make as a cement producer, how do you make best use of the data we have? So you have to so have, there's loads of sensors for all sorts of parts of the process. You're talking about, you know, and a very high resolution as well. Uh, and so we, we, we use that data to essentially create a digital twin of the process uh, and then use that to do live optimization sort of on the go uh, to, to, to support that, uh, to enable that uh, increase in efficiency. And what are the what are the actions that this impacts? When you say it's live uh, live recommendations, wh what does then change on the production line? Is it like uh, let's put more chemicals, less chemicals, or let's change the temperature? What what uh, what then gets translated into the production process? Yeah, so there would be things. So for example, if you think of how how a you know, cement uh, production process works, so uh, in this case, you know, it have. Uh, different fuel splits. Uh, there's a fuel split in different parts of the process. There is a the how much of it you're doing, how much the feeding rate feeding rate of the materials, uh, the uh, things like the controlling for uh, temperatures in different parts. And and the key there is that if you think about it as a, a dynamic system where the outputs have uh, are affected by the the inputs and the conditions of the system itself. And the inputs vary by things like the uh, quality and properties of different batches of materials, the type of fuel that you're using, and the different batches of fuel that you're using, which should have different properties as well. Uh, then the conditions within the process, and think about it as, okay, you're actually having thousands of tons going, ha being produced. And that means that there is a lot uh, of the, in terms of physics happening within uh, the process itself. So how do you, essentially the, you know, you may have six, seven, eight levers that you can use but actually which combination is the right one at a given point in time, given the inputs and given what you can predict uh, about the, the, the what's going to happen under different conditions. And what you have essentially is that you have a very large space of possibilities. And the key and what AI enables is to be able to find that optimum path within that, that very large space. Let's switch and turn to the, the, the landscape in which you are operating, kind of, I'd love to talk about the profile of customers that you are, you know, dealing with or approaching. As far as I understand, you have, if you look at the cement manufacturing industry, you have very large multinational corporations like 
Lafarge and, and some, some of these names. But at the same time, you have a, a very long tail of smaller, more regional players. And so it's still a fairly fragmented industry. And if, within that spectrum, who do you perceive as being the, 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 the beachhead customers that are going to be you know, experimenting with you as you, as you build your solution? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a very interesting question. And, uh, you know, it's the one we've, one, one, one we've, uh, so, you know, had to think a lot about. Uh, so, you know, we're in a good position of uh, working with a variety of different customers in uh, both geographically and in terms of size. And without, without being, you cannot get into details of names, but the, the, broadly speaking, you are going to have groups that are either very large multinational, kind of medium-sized multinationals that have. Uh, you know, some of them have different degrees of digital maturity, different degrees of, you know, even organizationally are quite different. Some of the really big ones have, you know, centralized technical teams, other have uh, more kind of autonomous subsidiaries. Uh, some are experimenting with, done some experimentation with digital AI solutions, others have done less. So, uh, obviously smaller ones probably have less capacity to do that. Uh, and, and the key is, it's not so much, I mean, the, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that the size or regionally is necessarily the, the best indicators of which are the best kind of early customers and, and sort of uh, early adopters and, and so on. Uh, and, uh, you know, as these things are always to do with um, sort of culture and approaches and sort of ambition, you know, the, the nice thing is that, you know, we've had, so when we started the company, it was a full on pandemic and lockdowns and everything. So we kind of, we had to start and the assumption was that we we're not going to see anyone in person. So we kind of, we developed the whole business, um, and products on the idea that we can do it all remotely, which ended up being a good thing in that, uh, you know, we've, we've, our first uh, trials were in Asia and we've actually had some really open, uh, a lot of very open, open to innovation companies in Asia. Uh, yeah, surprisingly in some way more, more so than, than perhaps than uh, in Europe. Uh, and I think it's, yeah, the, the one maybe criticism I would have in Europe sometimes is that there is a, sometimes a bit of a conservativeness in terms of trying new innovation in a way that you don't necessarily see in other parts of the world. And when you, when you see those customers with an appetite to, to test your solutions, to run pilot projects, what is their, their key uh, motivation? Is it uh, cost efficiency or is it the desire to improve the CO2 emission profile of the industry? Of course, it could be both, but what do you observe from your from your interactions with customers? Yeah, that's that's a really really interesting, and you know, we've seen that change uh, just even in the past few years, right? Uh, obviously, cost is is always important, but it's uh, I would say probably that since last year, it's become even more of an issue because of the uh, energy crisis and the huge increase in, in fuel prices. Uh, I think kind of you know, sharpened minds about okay, like that's that's a really key area. But increasingly, I think everyone in the industry is talking and thinking about decarbonization. I mean, as these things are, there's always going to be a range of how much is being done, how fast and so on. But uh, it's, you know, it has become a clear, a clear, well, yeah, not necessarily the top priority, but one of the top priorities of the industry is like to find ways apart to decarbonization. There is also the, the, you know, the reality is that cement in particular is a very hard to decarbonize because no matter, even if you somehow manage to avoid any fuel emissions, uh, you still have about 50% of the emissions uh, of cement A come from the process and CO2 that's released in, uh, from, from burning limestone. So the, you know, and the only solution to that really is, is uh, CCUS, CCS. 
So the, 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 there is, uh, I think the industry has been really been getting both internally kind of the sense that either, either have to be, um, to, to try and decarbonize. I was, everyone's been, uh, you know, every industry has been getting more pressure from investors, from the public, from sort of policymakers. Uh, and so we've seen some very positive movements in that direction, uh, really things that are quite concrete actions starting to happen. And, and that's, that's great. That, that's really good for us. And it's uh, generally, I think, good for the industry. What have been the learnings from those pilot projects that you've been running since, since you started the company in terms of, you know, your, your ability to, to deliver results from the customers? What are the key numbers when you look at how much cost could we save? How much emissions could we reduce? No, absolutely. So um, we had kind of in the lucky position that uh, sort of our product was built on, you know, was backed up by research uh, done by one of my co-founders at, at Cambridge University, where he did, uh, looked and analyzed the uh, opportunity at various uh, cement, cement facilities and looking at uh, uh, fuel use and fuel, co and, and fuel costs. And so, so we have a, a very uh, solid base of research, kind of see, okay, like that's, that's where the opportunity is. But I think, well, since you know we started the company, what we start seeing and working with different customers is that uh, those kind of efficiency opportunities exist to a great extent or to very, a very similar extent in uh, across the board. Now it's always a little bit different, obviously, from one uh, one facility to another. But the fact is, there is a lot of efficiency with the potential due to not because uh, certain producers were not doing the best that they could but because the, the tools to do that, to, to reach these levels of efficiency have not been available up to now. So kind of the, that, that eight to 10% potential is, is, is there, uh, and it's very much kind of what, what the data is, uh, is telling us is there. Obviously for each kind of each time you go to a different plant, it will depend a little bit on the specific conditions, what's happening in it and so on. In terms of emissions, you could actually potentially reach a up to 20% reductions in emissions. Uh, that's in very in specific uh, conditions where you are, for example, um, so coal is a the sort of the traditional uh, fuel in the industry. But if you switch from coal to alternative fuels, then you both in terms of the uh, the combustion efficiencies that you can achieve and the fuel switch, you could uh, reach something like twenty percent. Now, switching to alternative fuels is definitely is usually quite a hard thing to do. And the reason for that is that it kind of affects the operations of the plant is also it's a they're much more unpredictable fuels in that there are a variety of things, right? So one day it could be shredded tires, another day it could be plastics, another day it could be some biofuels, so all sorts of different things. And they have different calorific values, they burn in different ways, they have different degrees of moisture. So it becomes a much harder thing to manage. The nice thing is that with with AI tools that does that can help you manage that uh, that variation quite a bit. We talked mostly about cement. I understand that you're also serving uh, steel and glass production facilities. Can you tell us a bit about what are the key differences that are, that you observe across those three different end industries? Yeah, so yeah, you know, I mean, so we are very much focused on cement today. We're doing some early exploration in in steel and glass, but perhaps if I take a step back and why. You know that that kind of we sort of looked at that uh, the, the that range of sector as um, sectors you can work on. So essentially, we we look at the problem from a physics and chemistry uh, point of view uh, to start with, right? And it's the idea is if you if you look at it from in in all of these scenarios as well as with other materials, what you're doing is that you're taking a base material, you're applying energy to it to get to a either an intermediary or final product. Now, today. 
we know how to do that production at a uh, sort of at, at a macro level. We know what the the chemistries involved are, but we don't have the tools. We don't have the tools to make these this kind of production as efficient as possible because we do not have the the granular understanding at on the at the you know, kind of at any given moment of what's going on. So our our, our kind of thesis is that. Uh, by applying the uh, sort of the, the math, the computation of machine learning and artificial intelligence to the physics and chemistry of the transformation of materials, you are able to much better understand and model what's going to happen for the materials given any conditions for different materials, for different production processes. And once you have these these kind of overall models, which is then there's a lot of R&D, and that's why as a company, we do a lot of R&D, but we're starting in one specific area. There is a degree of generalization you can apply across all these industries to enable you to improve any process that involves the transformation of materials under energy. Uh, and so kind of this is the, so that, that transferability, that generalization comes from uh, developing these general models that, that are able to apply, to go from one place to another, you know, from, from one process to another and from one material to another. That's obviously a, a longer term view. So this is more of the uh, sort of our medium to long term plan and very much coming in our R&D based plan and then uh, sort of the, the, the key is to okay like how do we turn these insights the as, as quickly uh, as the, the early insights into uh, valuable products in the short term whilst continuing to build a basis of R&D in the future for the uh, bigger solutions today where where are you in the in the stage of development of your of your company are you running live customers already or are you at the stage of um refining your your solution with more pilot projects yeah so uh, we know we're running live in a few plants uh, obviously we are uh, you know it's a you can imagine it's uh that there's the product is always evolving and you know this is very much of the you know, part of the value proposition right and that's uh this is not a static set of solutions i mean we are always releasing uh updating new models releasing new models you know putting them into production which uh, are you know improving on the on the on previous ones there's plenty of features we have planned there's plenty of sort of things that we we still want to model uh so you know we have the base that base got kind of that first core product and uh, we're building on top of that uh, and uh, you know this is very much what you industries are not beginners you're not always used to that model of you know um does this thing from like having a static software product you get maybe like a release every few years or something uh with with some new features this is something that from uh, one day to the next from one week to the next this can be improving and new features are are, are being gone uh, we're, we're being applied to the old stuff and what when you think about your product vision and and kind of the roadmap and and where those new features are are taking you compared to what it is today what what is the picture that you paint for yourself and for your team of the the product that you can have reached in in two or three years or even beyond that Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that uh, really good question. Uh, so you know, I think uh, two to three years is uh, you know, if you look at cement, is there's you know, we're starting with one part of the process. We're starting with the fuel, with the pyro processing, and and cement making. But there's lots of other opportunities uh, across that that body chain, even in just just in cement. Uh, so first is kind of expanding within that within that. There is that generalization of things like processing uh, of materials uh, across different industries uh, sort of uh, in terms of verticals and then in the longer term you know t talking about five ten years and so on then the um, you know this is very much where sort of that that early investment in in R&D 
can start paying off because you have where there's a huge potential. What we what we think is the future of that of materials really is uh, probably that is also going through will go through a huge transformation. Is that so far all the most of the AI talent, most of the AI effort and investment has gone towards predominantly the digital sphere, right? So imagery and uh, voice and so on, uh, which has led to you know whole whole lot of disruption and change in these industries. Now, what we're starting to see, and you know, what I believe is the future, really the next decade is going to be huge um, uh, changes are in the physical sciences. So the application of AI to biology, physics, and chemistry. We're starting to see some of that in biology and things like uh, drug discovery, protein folding, vaccine design. This is going to come into the materials industry, and that's going to lead to a huge transformation in the way we produce, the way uh, automation helps make things faster and more efficient and, and differently, and also the way even we, we think of materials, the way we, we produce and design new materials, the way we, for example, take uh, adapt cements to the local conditions, to the local uh, available materials and substitutes, to making different types of concrete depending on the different things, and being able to do these in, in a ways that are much faster and much more predictable than anything we can do today. We're reaching the end of the of, of our discussion, so I, I'd love to talk about the round that you raised uh, late last year. Tell us a bit about who are the investors that came on board and what do you intend to do with, with the capital? What is the next step that you see for, for your company and where you're going to deploy resources? No, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we've been uh, extremely lucky. We've had a fantastic group of investors. We had the uh, uh, follow-on from our pre-seed invest from uh, most of our pre-seed investors. So we had follow-ons from the uh, UCL Technology Fund and Albion Capital, from Cambridge Enterprise, from the Clean Growth Fund, which is a major uh, clean tech investor in the UK. And uh, we, it was led by Planet A, so a um, major European and uh, German uh, climate tech investor. And fantastic alignment in terms of uh, both the uh, across the board from both the uh, the climate uh, significance and the market opportunity. So we we raised around to be you know, as you know uh, uh, maybe not, nothing too surprising, but to obviously brought the team really kind of deep in our uh, technical uh, team. So we really invested quite heavily in in like uh, amazing uh, software engineering, machine learning engineering. Uh, uh, computational chemistry expertise. Uh, we have an absolutely top-notch team, and also across the board, across kind of sales and operations and marketing. But uh, broadly speaking, it's to kind of been using that uh, investment to accelerate our product development, uh, really bring in, uh, really kind of mature the product as much faster than we, we, we could have done, and to really go and reach out to uh, many more customers and uh, expand into. Uh, uh, many more companies. So, you know, key for us is to is ship that uh, as, as much of the product as possible uh, and kind of provide that, that real value to the customers as quickly as possible uh, and also plan for the future because, uh, you know, I think we, we're just on the start of something here. Uh, you know, we always, obviously, as uh, as a founder uh, and senior, you kind of, you never stop fundraising in some way, you know, sometimes a bit less actively or for, than others, but it's a continuous process. So it's always an eye on the next step. It's always an eye on the next uh, next fundraise and where we're going to go next from you. Barry, thank you. It's been it's been a very interesting discussion. I think we only scratched the surface of you know what what you can do with AI in in those heavy industry manufacturing. It was a great way to 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 raise the awareness and to 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 get into it. Um, I'd love to have you back on the show and to hear about the progress in your time. 
And in the meantime, I wish good luck to, to you and the Carbon Read team. No, we'd love to, we'd love to be here again. And thanks so much, Nathan. Uh, lovely to talk to you. And thank you very much for, um, for the podcast and all the information you provide. Thanks, Sheriff. Bye. Take care. You can find out more about Carbon Re on their website, carbonre.com. Check out their careers page for job openings as they recently completed a race and are looking to grow their team. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed the show, spread the word, leave us a review on your favorite platform, talk about this with your colleagues and your friends. It would help us, it would inspire them, and it would massively support the founders who come on this show.